Welcome to the Nerve Guys podcast, where we discuss movement, performance, and rehabilitation through the lens of the brain and nervous system. The Nerve Guys podcast is hosted by Gareth Kelly and James McCambridge. To find out more about the Nerve Guys or to book into our online or in-person training programs, please visit thenerveguys.co.uk. The Nerve Guys podcast is sponsored by Elite Vision Sticks. Every day, athletes of all levels are reaching their full performance potential with Elite Vision Sticks. Pick up yours today. So today we have a guest with us. We have Beth from Flexibility Matters. Beth is a physio who works both with uh, NHS patients and uh, performers and athletes, uh, as well as having a bit of an athletic background herself. Probably what's best. Uh, Beth, hello, first of all. How are you doing? (laughs) Hello, I'm doing well, thank you. Yeah, uh, um, take us through just a little bit about what you what you do. So, uh, kind of, what is your job? What kind of people do you treat? And uh, yeah, what's your background? How did you get into all this? Yes, so um, I am a physiotherapist. I uh, work for the NHS in a specialist service and the chronic pain service. So, the patient that I mainly treat is anyone with pain, literally from more than three months. That doesn't go away. So I don't really see any more what we call the acute pain. So I don't see as much sort of the fractures, the sprains, that sort of thing. But I mainly help people to manage the long-term pain. So such a long-term low back pain, um, chronic regional pain syndrome, so um, age-related arthritis. So that, that side of things as well. That's what I do as the main job. From kind of the reason I always like physio is because I really like the human body. Being like an ex-gymnast, also being um, an ex-cheerleader as well, I used to do a lot of sports. So that got me really interested in biomechanic and how the body works and also very, very interested in flexibility. Um, so uh, with that background, I started to start um, Flexibility Matters. I wanted to promote kind of pain management and also kind of how people can optimize the body through stretching and how they can move in a pain-friendly way. So that's, that's a bit about me. I've also, outside of work, worked with um, Team England Parachair before as their medical officer. So that's more kind of the pain management within the team. But with, I also, within that team, do acute um, sort of injury management as well. So if people have an injury during training, such as we had a few sort of like so back pain during training, wrist pain, shoulder dislocation, or even kind of like the emergencies of passing out, seizures attack, concussion, that sort of thing. I also deal with too. So, um, so that's my background. Do a bit of acute, a uh, bit of chronic, and um, yeah. So that's that's kind of sums it up. Sorry, sounds like I do a lot, but. <laughs> but mainly those two things because that branches out a bit <laughs> yeah you've kind of got the whole spectrum of especially pain yeah under as well like. i know so to be anything related to pain and injury that's kind of my interest and was that anything in the background as well so i know for myself and gareth uh i find a lot of people when they have a gymnastics background tend to want to know more about the body and i always wonder like for some people it's just because the gymnastics gets boring and they sort of go, yeah, you know what, I'm kind of, 
I'm just used to doing it. I've been doing this since I was a kid. I want to know more. And then for ones like, I guess, us, uh, we just get injured so much that it becomes <laughs> like, which way around. I think, I think you're right about that. Loads of gymnastics people go into like coaching and the body stuff because we're just naturally interested in it, isn't it? I think for me, it's I, it's a flexibility within gymnastics and cheerleading. So loads of people say, oh, I'm injured because I'm hypermobile. And then that used to really throw me. So, like, what do you mean by that? Um, why is that person more flexible than the other person? Surely, they're, are they born more flexible? And with their really competitive gymnastics self, you, you wanted to learn more and crave for that knowledge. Um, so I think that's what got me interested in, in flexibility and pain. Because hypermobility, sometimes people get pain and then people blame it on the hypermobility. But actually, is it even hypermobility or do they just not been training properly or they're not very good at um, joint awareness training or strength training, that sort of thing? Is there some kind of threat there that the brain's holding back or is mm. it so unstable that the brain's a bit scared so it's generating the pain signal? You know, a lot of, exactly. a lot of people that used to be, say, like gymnasts or performers, to get interested initially in the biomechanics and, or the neurology stuff or anything at all, that might give them that extra 1% to get that little bit better. And then it opens mm. up the door and you go, oh, God, there's all this other stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then you kind of go down the rabbit hole, I think, and you get further yeah. away from trying to increase your performance and closer to the actual just wanting to learn more about the body in general. Yeah. That's how I yeah. find I find it through trying to get better. And then I got yeah. to it just actually being really interested. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's actually really interesting as well. The more I find out about this, the more the, the body and brain connection when it comes to training, um, that's how I feel anyways. And if you understand that your body is safe to move, that you're not doing any harm, then that helps you become a better performer, a better coach, a, a better clinician, I guess. Yeah, it's mm. all about options. Yeah, yeah. Mm. options your brain has. Yes. The body then the less chance of injury you've got, the better chance of recovery you've got if you are Absolutely. already injured. And it is, it is that kind of brain-body connection. Just keeping, mm. that, keeping that alive and working is really real. Mm. Because I don't know if you find this, but I, when I'm treating people in person, I find they generally have lot, their awareness of that brain-body connection slip. So they yes, kind of yes. From the body. Yes, yes. I, I don't know whether because I'm in the physio background itself, so I've always encouraged that body connection, but it's shocked me how many people are unaware and disconnected to their body. They have no idea how the body works. And with gymnasts, um, a lot of the trainers that when I used to train, I'm sure if a club is different, but it's very much like do this, do that and practice, but you, you don't have that control. It's about like what your coach tells you and you follow the program and you just do as you're told so because of that like my body didn't actually thinking about it now my body didn't know what I was training and I wasn't training smart I was just doing what people tell me to do so I was a bit disconnected back then and now that trying to reconnect with my body then I realize how much more I can do and yeah. um, I wonder so uh, it is important absolutely I was just thinking about that like how do you find the difference there between uh gymnastics and physiotherapy where like in gymnastics we just sort of say yeah do this do this do this physiotherapy actually 
has to kind of have some reasoning or proof behind it. Like uh, mm. you do something because your coach tells you to, and then those people become coaches and then they teach the students, this is the way I do it because my coach told me to do this. And mm. uh, that doesn't really work in medicine. Like if I said, Oh, you know what? I've got this really great treatment for you because my doctor before me, you get, you know, here's some leak. Yeah. Uh, worked really well before and nobody really knows uh, but like what's the difference yeah. there between the gymnastics like do you find in physio you just have to know more about why you're doing something before you do it or yes um you're, you're right about that so because as a kind of regulated body as a physio everything we do have to be, um, clinical base so you have the clinical reason why you do it so even if you do a treatment you will need to reason why like is it because you've learned about this research and have you read the most latest night guideline and then there's a huge thing about safety as well how can we make sure that that person's safe from the treatment um and i guess there's also about the perception of physio so traditionally people think physio is very much hands-on and giving people massages so loads of first impression it's oh you're not that's that's the treatment approach but actually in the more kind of the modern physio or the newer physio it's a mixture of faith so we see the place of hands-on treatment giving people that therapeutic approach but also if you want to get someone better you need to help them understand why they have pain understand what can they do to make themselves better understand holistically and um, if the patient is you, you might question, oh, why is the patient not getting better? But sometimes it's not always about the treatment itself. There might be things outside of physio, like either if they're not sleeping, well, the pain's going to change. So if they are stressed, the pain level's going to change. And if they're working, they can't change the way they work. And that will also in itself cause pain as well. So it's a, it's, it can, the patient can get really complicated. So that's, I guess that's different I found with being kind of working with athletes and NHS patients as well. NHS patients can get very complicated and then that will require more kind of a, a multidisciplinary approach with psychologists, um, occupational health and pain doctor, pain nurses as well. Whereas athletes, they, they tend to be a lot more driven. They just don't know how to, to work their body. So if you can just find out that, then that in itself can be a session. Yeah, I went off the tangent a bit. I was trying to compare it. Don't worry, I've brought three great points. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so point number one is basically like how is um, your understanding of uh, you know how important is the understanding of how chronic pain versus acute pain treatment works with mm. patients. So yeah, you know, how you're going to approach it with two blogs off the street as opposed to say Premier League foot forward, for example. Yeah. It's going yeah. to be completely different because, as you say, like how driven they are and how in tune with their bodies they are already, probably mm. it's going to be yeah. a different approach. That was the yeah. first thing. Second one is how how important intent is and understanding of where their pain is coming from and mm. intention behind the rehab. Because you'll find yeah. people do check out when they do rehab. Mm. And they don't actually progress quite as much as people that are invested and they're paying. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's about the goal, isn't it? What do they want to achieve? Yeah. yeah, and the brain, as well, though, the brain itself won't really change that much in an adult without certain mm. effort. And then, the third point, which we might get to, <laughs> is it also brings up a really interesting thing I was talking to Dean about earlier 
when somebody's in pain, it's always the bad days that you remember. It's the yeah. bad days that stick around because mm. the pain stops you putting your socks on. The pain stops you, you know, tying your shoelaces. You know, it stops you doing mm. all. But on the, the times that you have a good day, you don't recognize it because it doesn't stop you doing anything. Mm. Mm. So, and that's something I find that you have to try and get across to a lot of people is it's yeah. bad days that you that stick around. Mm. Yeah. I was wondering, yeah. well, what came up from that for me was about what you were talking about, pain levels changing and mm. explain to people that, you know, if you don't sleep well, uh, it's going to change how you experience pain. And I think there's a lot behind that. Uh, mm. Maybe we could try, try to unthink mm. a little bit for anyone listening who's going, first of all, either, what do you mean? Like, if my hand's injured, yeah. it's injured. So how do I... Yeah. How is my sleep going to affect that? Or, you know, as somebody who deals with chronic pain, could you talk through a little bit about how exactly it works just for anyone? Who yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll lightly touch on it because this can yeah. be another hour just talking about sleep and pain in itself. It's quite a big topic. But um, going back to what Gareth said earlier, like a really resonating echo that I can hear what you're saying. So, on the good days, you don't realize it. People push themselves, and then the bad days become even more worse because they've been pushing themselves on the good days, but not appreciating the good days as well. Presumably, the bad days feel really bad. Um, that, in a way, sometimes links into sleep. So let's just say um, the uh, the good days, you you're doing a lot, and then you don't feel the pain because the pain doesn't come straight away. It comes afterwards. So the after effects start to come on the evenings. And from a science point of view and a body kind of hormone changes point of view, inflammation point of view, um, that sort of achiness, that sort of pain generally comes after. So a delay onset of pain. So then when you get so you're more likely to experience pain at night time from an inf inflammation point of view, your body's inflammation is more active at night time. So if you have an injury or a old injury, that inflammation high, um, comes up higher and then that joint gets a bit more warm and more swollen it doesn't like it it will produce pain then that's another factor that can affect your sleep and affects the pain level you experience at night time and undoubtedly the worries and the anxiety that comes with worrying about the pain people when they sit down when they're in bed they tend to worry more and and because you don't have other things to well some people call it distract you or keep them busy and that worrying brain in itself can make people fall, finding it hard to sleep so all these factors add together will make people struggle to sleep well um so they might not get a refreshed sleep for eight hours let's just say so they might be waking up in the night because they're uncomfortable because they're in pain because the mind's worried and as a result of the next day that becomes a bad day because they didn't sleep well so i'm sure with anyone who doesn't sleep well was will not have a good day so you add pain on top of it that can amplify the pain you're experiencing. It doesn't mean your pain's getting worse or your injury's getting worse at all. It just means your experience got worse because of the factor that caused lack of sleep. Exactly. You're already worn down by all these other little factors. And yeah. the CMP level, level seems a lot more intense mm. just because you're already worn down. Shattered, yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. Same thing, as you say, when you're lying in bed 
um, the pain can feel a little bit more intense because a the inflammation there might be there will be more of it at night time. You're sitting mm-hmm. down, you can have time to worry about it, and that's why you'll find a lot of people that say they've got bad backs. They turn around and say, "But turning over in bed when I'm lying in the middle of the night is really, really different," mm-hmm. and it's because mm-hmm. you've got time to focus on the sensation. Yeah, day, yeah, you're doing stuff and you don't really focus on it as much. Yeah. And when you're doing stuff, you're moving, you're not having all that tension building up. But when you're laying down, your body's seizing up as well. So if you sat down for long, your pain gets from stiffness and tightness and that in itself can lead to pain. Exactly. You're, so, yeah. you're compressing the muscle when you're sitting down or lying down. So you're not getting yeah. the right amount, like the full amount of flow, et cetera, that you're getting when you're walking, mm. all that kind of thing. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's a difficult topic, I think, sometimes to broach with people yeah people. i think it's a very big topic as well but not everyone's accepting to open to talk about that yeah yeah i think it's it's a very yeah because it is really sensitive i think with people and a lot of people don't want to hear the answer to mm. being move more yeah a lot of things you know because yeah. it and a lot of people are like no i don't want yeah to. <laughs> i'm joking <laughs> Isn't it the doctor? Doctor, it hurts when I go like this, and the doctor. Yeah. Says, okay, well, don't, don't go. Don't like move this. it. Yeah. That's. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It seems a bit too simple. Yeah. Your approach yeah. now, whenever you're with patients, do you now? This is going back a while now. Um, I used to have a physio friend, and his approach would be purely biomechanical. Make sure the joint has range of motion. Make sure all the muscles around it are working properly. All that kind of thing. Do you treat? like that personally or do you treat as a whole organism or a combination of both so you take obviously in the brain body connection and stuff well, I can't mm. tell what you do from what you've said already <laughs> um, yeah but generally do you do does it change much now for your professional athletes and your um uh like dual blogs off the street kind of yeah i think it, the question actually goes back it depends on the patient so I think I do do the mechanic side of things, but I found that that's only kind of a small portion. So if I, let's just say the things that I can do, it's um, like, because there's a variety of things I can do. So it's that I've got this book of things that I can pick up and treat the patient and biomechanic is definitely one of them. And that's kind of the bread and butter from physio anyways to start with. So, but what I do eventually the goal is to get people moving and if they move the pain gets better but what I found is to get to there sometimes it requires that holistic approach so if people are still kind of worried about their pain they'll never let you get to the biomechanic side of things to look at how can you like work the shoulder more efficiently how can you move your hips knees and ankles better um so I guess um so it just it just depends on the patient really yeah, it's very patient dependent. Yeah, and does um, the amount of time you have with patients, obviously, it's mm. really restricted because you're, you're mm. it's, it is time sensitive because they're only getting yeah. appointment um, yeah. for however long, say it's you know, mm. a period of six weeks worth of once or twice a week or whatever it might be. Mm. Um, I take it that has a big effect on how, not so much how deep you'll go into things with them, but how yeah. you approach things because you're obviously looking for the biggest bang for buck to try them on that journey start it yeah 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 so um it again there's there's different factors so if i when i work on an acute place so before i was a pain specialist we used to only have half an hour so when you only have half an hour 
like you say, you can't go so deeply into things. But that's okay for most people if they have what we call the acute pain when they just have an acute injury, want some FIs and carry on with life. So that's okay when it's when it's half an hour. It's more the complex patients. So if patients have multiple medical histories, they don't only have back pain, they also have wrist and shoulder and ankle pain. Those patients, I, I think I'm quite lucky being a pain specialist surface. I do get one hour for the complex ones, but then I can unpick um, what's happening um, biopsychosocial point of view. So the bio, it's the biology. So how the body moves, the biomechanics, the muscles and joints, the bones. Um, but the psychosocial is what's happening, social at home, um, work and the social life, the support network. And cycle, it's it's kind of their fears, worries, and anxiety. So, so I'm lucky in a way that I can get one hour to treat those complex patients. But I appreciate actually most people, most physios in the UK, only get half an hour, and it's really hard to unpick those. So yeah. those becomes kind of like, if I don't have enough time, I think those are like little nuggets. So instead of throwing all the nuggets at one point, I'll pick what feels most relevant and just plan the scene and say plan the scheme and perhaps if you have time you can look at that next time that picking the priorities to yeah. focus on yeah and then um with that biopsychosocial thing you kind of mentioned before about you know sometimes things can sit in different departments as well so it might not just be a physio mm. looking at one person it could be you know psychologist urologist uh mm. any number of other other specialists um how do how does that stuff work in terms of like obviously mm. I imagine everyone's very good at notes and sharing in, yeah yeah in the in the medical profession but uh does that leave what am i trying to say does that leave scope for things to get missed because you assume oh the you know the psychologist is supposed to deal with this bit so i'm going to leave it out and i'll wait for them, yeah. that to happen mm. does stuff ever get missed out or does how, how do you manage that when you've got a bigger yeah problem? yeah I guess we missing out is quite hard. I guess we just find out what's most helpful for the patient. Obviously, knowing my scope of practice, how far I can go from a physio point of view, there's can't really separate that mental health and physical health. So if someone's in chronic pain, sometimes they get depressed and anxiety because as a result of the chronic pain. So if they only see a psychologist, the psychologist can help with their, their body movement because that's not what they're trained. Um, they can they can ask them to go for more walks, but there's only so far they can go. So I guess it's just recognizing me myself as well. Although I have some training in what I call acceptance commitment therapy and act, but there are patients that will be really stuck. Maybe they have like a personality disorder, and knowing that my limitations, if they're bipolar, ADHD, there's only so far I can go. So if I can't do certain things and I'll seek advice from the psychologist and discuss with her is there anything I can do differently or is there anything they would suggest or would they see this patient the same with the pain doctors um we have a, like a MDT meeting which is multidisciplinary team set um, meetings that we can bring up these patients just in case if there's something you just feel or what if I missed this? Or what if the patient would benefit from this treatment? Then we can bounce off ideas. So, so we're trying to minimise things being missed, I guess. Um, it's nice to see that kind of how you put it, combined arms approach 
because it does it is better for the patient in the long run. But speaking about standard chronic pain, I want to touch on very quickly chronic pain in your athletes and your performers, because mm. the problem I've always found with athletes and performers and like some of the football players we would see and stuff is it's quite hard to figure out when it is chronic pain with those types of mm. well, yeah, those types of yeah. because yeah. chronic pain for a standard person in the community mm. is a lot different than a professional athlete's chronic pain because they're yeah. they not ignore it but they're taught to accept that it's part of it so you mm. might not even know that they're actually in pain initially yeah i think sometimes that's a barrier to to treatment or a barrier to do helpful things for those people because if they're an athlete or if there's that it's the job that they have to do yeah. so they either hide pain or they push through pain yeah um i definitely not naming who, but I can think of on the top of my head that right. it feels really uncomfortable as a as a physio, I guess, or as just a human to think this is not good for you, but yeah. I can't stop you because it's her choice. It's your choice, yeah. um, and it's really really hard. And I guess it's just noticing that in myself and said maybe there's nothing I can do. I know this will help, but if that person's not ready, they're not ready. Yeah. Um, it's so hard in the athlete, I guess in the sporting sporting world, it's really, really hard. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean that against the planting the seed, isn't it? It doesn't mean we can't plant the seed and it's and probably up to them how they want to grow, grow with that idea. Exactly. Um yeah. And you also mentioned about differentiating acute and chronic yeah. pain. Yeah. So um in the medical world, we, there's a thing we call red flags. So if there's specific signs and symptoms or if there's trauma yeah. that's not quite the same as the pain previously, then you, you can kind of rule it out and then you can differentiate whether it's acute or chronic. But that tends to take um, at least a good 15, 20 minutes of assessment to really, if you want to be absolutely sure, to, to pull it out, whether it's a chronic or acute. Yeah. But it's important to, to know sometimes so you're not causing more damage, oh. etc. I find as well, actually, just um, when you're talking with athletes or actually with general population as well, people don't think they're doing things enough or they don't think they're pushing hard enough unless they're in pain. So if they're, yeah, if yes, they're, like no pain, no gain. Exactly. Yeah. That mantra is being cemented into everybody. I believe in the 80s uh, yeah. movies. Uh, <laughs> 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 but... Uh, yeah, everyone's got that cemented into their head. So if they're not in pain, they're not working hard enough. Whether it's just going to the gym or going for their 5K runs or whether it is footballers, swimmers, whatever. Everyone seems to have this now social burden to try and push as hard as they physically can. Yeah, yeah. Mm, mm. In the athletic side of things, that's almost like this resignation thing as well, which was something mm. I ask you about. Like chronic pain in gen in the general population, in my experience, people, like the biggest barrier for me is just they say, "Yeah, this is just how it is." Like that, you know. Yeah. There's no. They not, don't believe there's hope for change and room yeah. for change. And in yeah. In circuit, yeah. where we're both from, uh, mm. not so much resigned to chronic pain. Anytime there is serious pain, they want to fix it, but they're resigned yeah. to the fact that they're supposed. You know, I'm I'm a circus performer. I'm supposed to just hurt all the time. Like that's yeah. you know, yeah. 
I wouldn't be doing it right. I wouldn't be a professional performer if I wasn't, if I wasn't aching, mm. slow moving. And um, mm. do you have kind mm. of protocols for the like, cause I guess that's gotta be a pretty hard thing to win somebody round or get, get someone out of that thinking. Do you have any mm. or techniques or anything that you use for that? Yes. Uh, I can, I can. So just to make sure I'm hearing the right thing. So it's about sort of performers, kind of that that mindset thing isn't it what they perceive themselves and how they feel they should be so yeah yeah that's really challenging um to challenge because that's someone's thoughts and someone's belief and it's really hard to change someone's thoughts and belief it's if society the culture and people around them all things this is how it should be so um sometimes what (laughs) Okay, some people will use what they call a CBT um, um, CBT approach, uh, which is identifying what the thoughts, what the thoughts linked into the reason they do things, what they see people doing and what they would feel. So sometimes you can just unpick that cycle of questioning in a non-judgmental way. So just kind of instead of saying, oh, you're wrong, but it's about kind of being curious and open and really question their thoughts so if they question their thoughts sometimes that can create some conversations and some extra thoughts and extra thinking and then they might be willing to start thinking about doing things differently so it's not about necessarily changing the thoughts it's about um being more flexible in in expanding the thoughts it's quite abstract but that's kind of the way i think about it because I, um, I don't like to be confrontational. No, you don't go anywhere. I would agree. I think, especially after I was injured, I mm. did all my rehab and did everything, but I was still in pain until I looked at it from more of a sort of neurobiomechanical point of view. And mm. why am I sore? Um, why would the brain feel under threat to keep me in pain? Mm. Injury had healed, but yeah. I'm yeah. there. And I didn't really start yeah. any changes until I started approaching it from that. Yes, yes, yes. That is always constantly in the, if you don't get up sore in the morning, you didn't work hard enough the day before. Mm. My coach mm. would go, yeah. how are you feeling today? And if I said, okay, they were like, well, you didn't work hard enough and give you yeah. more stuff to do. <laughs> so, so it took a long time to get out of that mindset. But it wasn't. Yeah, it's like a, yeah. Yeah, it's a mindset, a mindset of cycles, and you're in that cycle of mindset. So to get out of that cycle of mindset, you kind of need to find your way out. And, yeah. yeah, and sometimes that's quite difficult. But yeah, I guess one of the... it, it, it needs, it's one of those things you just need time um, yeah. and a lot of trust between, I guess, your clients and, and the person you're working with. They have to believe in what you're saying is true. I guess for you, Gareth you know it's true because you experienced that yourself yeah. so you went through that journey but for the other person they might not have yeah and but then you can't think of that like if you get the next person that comes to you, you can't go oh it's fine because i went through it like that's not always enough yeah. for like, yeah. the advantage we have is that somebody's already come to see you so why would they come see a physio why would they come see uh like why would they come see us if they didn't believe it was possible to some degree whereas i think the people that we, all of us really miss are the ones who are just out in the world For sure, yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, this is me now. I, i'm just like this and yeah um, 
even if I did believe it could change, I'm fed up of trying and failing, and actually, I don't, I, I don't like. Mm. It. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the ones that you how you put it. You want to get your hands on, but, yeah. you, but obviously, <laughs> they come anywhere near us. We kind of don't get our hands on it there. Yeah. So uh, one of the things I wanted to ask as well was how you deal with the idea of like educating people about pain so you sort of said like actually one of the important things is for people to kind of learn uh how things go and one of the things that i think we all know is really tricky is broaching this idea of the sensation of pain living in your brain without to not have that come across as this is all in your head or or you know to say actually we're not trying to say this isn't real or anything. We just want you to understand how it works. Do you have uh, any kind of procedure of how you, how you educate someone about pain? Is there any protocol for that? The answer to that is I don't, there isn't a set protocol in terms of how do you approach pain science to people. Um, we need to just be mindful that if we just teach and tell people things, people won't go back and learn and absorb for a learning process to happen, you have to kind of communicate and the person you're communicating to also need to absorb that information, consolidate it, understand it, and then giving it back out. So if you just tell someone to move more, they're not going to move more if you don't know why it moves more. Um, But linking that into how do we start by having these conversations about pain, it's more sometimes this, how you think and feel will, affect pain in itself how do you approach that conversation because it's quite a um unusual concept for people to understand in the first place anyways so i guess it's i sometimes do a thing called like creating hopelessness i don't tell the patient that because <laughs> it's quite a depressive name but in act as a thing called creative hopelessness so we go through oh what have you tried has it worked no and um, what have you tried? Has it worked? Or maybe how long does it work? Okay, short term. How much does that cost you? All quite a lot of money. Generally, that's how people get go through the treatments. And they ask them, so anything works in the long term? And they say, oh, nothing works, nothing works. So they go into a mindset of, oh, God, there's literally nothing else I can try. This is it. What could do I do now? And in that sort of state, and then you can suggest that idea of, would you like to hear in a more an explanation of, uh, why you feel pain, although in your x-ray is the same, although the doctor said there's nothing they can do, why are you feeling pain? And then they'll start, if they say yes, always checking with them first, if they're willing to learn, then, then I'll start explaining, perhaps there's something more to just um, biomechanically something wrong with your pain. There's perhaps the way we think and the way we feel um, impact pain. An example that I sometimes give to people is, um if they've if they've if they're not been moving a lot then i said um how long can you sit before you get pain so just being curious and again not judging um not judging them just ask them um and the curiosity just ask them openly and said um how long do you sit before you get pain and they i said oh 30 minutes so what's going to happen if you only sit for 15 minutes oh my pain's not not as bad and so what does that say about your pain? So if I sit longer, my pain gets worse. Okay, then that then you create a bit of conversation and coming into movement. 
or so that's one way and the other way similarly you can do the same of oh I'm noticing that I feel really stressed recently and my pain gets worse and then you question oh so why do you think when you stress your pain gets worse or maybe because um I don't know just just everything's just tight okay where are you feeling the tightness and then exploring that so um I've kind of like put some baby step and nuggets and slowly branch it out into pain science conversation so that's my approach I don't know do you guys have your own approach because I think everyone does it slightly differently yeah, I'd say me personally whenever I work with someone face to face it is quite similar they have to be ready to hear it mm, definitely yeah with pain it has to be you need to lay a trail of breadcrumbs and wait for them to be ready to follow the trail of breadcrumbs there was mm. and it's just it no matter how much you tell anybody it it still amazes me how influential the brain is in creating the sensation of pain. And mm. it's the, I always tell people the story that we heard on a course before about a builder fell off a ladder and a big needle yeah. through his boot. The needle, needle story, yeah. yes. And the needle wasn't even in the shoes. Yeah. yeah. Not even yeah. through the skin, but feeling the pain because they could see it. Yeah. And that yeah. is, I always use that quite often with patients just to kind of help them understand that there might not actually mm. be any physical damage, but the sensation is real. The sensation yeah. is something's causing it. And it could mm. be most of lots of other things. And that usually mm. opens the door a little bit to them going, oh, really? Well, what about this? What about that? So, yeah, it would be yeah. where I think. That's a really good metaphor, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I mm. love your way of having, like, because you kind of get them to come up with the answers of how it works themselves and then so mm. all you need to do after that point is confirm yeah actually the like, yeah. literature sort yeah. of confirms what you just told yes. so yeah mm. they're, they're, yes you're right and validating and then they suddenly feel oh i've got a bit of information now that i can work on yeah exactly. i mean the only thing yeah. i do extra to that i like to i've got a little comic i like to give people um it's called pain is really strange uh mm. Can't remember who it's by, but please tell me you drew it yourself. I did not draw it myself. Uh, there's a whole <laughs> oh, damn it! <laughs> comic strips. Disappointed. Uh, it's just it's it's quite short. It's like a graphic novel that just talks a little bit about pain. Because one of the things I find is people tend to be more receptive to information if it's not a face-to-face -face thing. When it's face-to-face, -face, it sort of feels. Mm. It, like a dominance thing i'm telling you this yeah. information because i yeah. have you whereas if yeah. you book, yeah. then you can read it if you want yeah. well it's yeah. the same stuff i would have told you but you get yeah. to find it out for yourself yes. and you get to, in that yeah. moment choose whether you agree yes it's like this is what you can offer but they have to agree to, to read the book or yeah yeah and they work can, together they can send yeah. it down and go i'm not ready and two days later they might pick it up again mm. You know, because yeah. face to face yeah. and come back and ask you another question about it, really. But if it's mm. and it's, it's mm. almost like the same as Coca Cola would do, like, you know, brand awareness, you just pass it all the time, so it's always there. Yeah, yeah, and, well, yeah. Maybe actually, maybe it is worth a try. Yeah. Bring it yeah. on to that though. If someone is suffering from pain, chronic, acute, doesn't matter. At what point would you advise them generally to seek help? Because as you say, we have to be ready for them to take that step and follow the breadcrumbs of understanding where their pain is coming from, what's causing their pain, 
and their steps to recovery. But when would you sort of, if someone's coming to you saying, I don't know, um, I'm a gymnast and I've, I've, I've got to meet and I've, I, need to, I need to train, but I'm suffering constantly. I'm constantly hurt. I've got a busted wrist and it just seems mm. better. I've got it strapped all the time. Well, mm. so for you, well, sorry, for me, I personally say when it starts impacting, when it's a constant thought, when it's always there, when mm. it impacts what you're doing, it impacts what you're doing when you're not training, when you are training, when you sleep, when it, it starts to impact anything, I would say. Yeah, yeah. We want to seek a bit of help instead of self-managing. Um, mm. I don't know what your thoughts on that kind of thing. Yeah. I think it depends on the depends on the person well from I guess from our point of view of course the earlier the seek out the better because if that sort of worrying thoughts are coming and then they start to train differently they're compensating because they're trying to train but they're pushing away from the pain and that's not helpful in terms of if, if they want to get a more efficient training or get the best performance out of themselves so I would say the earlier the possible um, that would be my thought but again, it's up to the person whether they would want to approach us or you guys or whether they, yeah. I guess yeah. That's the, the balance for people is always the, the cost effectiveness of it. So mm, you yeah. You're on NHS yeah. and you can get it for free, but yeah. you have to pay for every time you mm, get it. Yeah. Yeah. Should, yeah. What would you recommend for someone who's going, well, do, you know, should I? what kind of signs should I be looking for where I go definitely I need to see somebody about like I want to I think when you start thinking about it a lot then definitely you need to worth seeing somebody because if it's just niggling and you're kind of gone away in a few days and that's okay but if you start worrying I think that's when things can can build up the, the later you seek help and that worrying builds up for longer the way that it's just not maybe perhaps it's not helpful in helpful strategies that you're using if you're trying to self-manage but you're still worrying and still struggling then I would say definitely seek help from someone um that would be yeah I believe read the adage of flirt with discomfort but never give P in your number (laughs) (laughs) it's uncomfortable and you can work with it that's fine discomfort isn't anything really to be scared of yeah yeah do mistake discomfort for pain mm, when it yeah. occurs to proper pain it generally you know what's pain mm, and that's when you mm. need to then change your approach because you don't yeah. really want to be training into pain yes 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 and definitely and also acute pain i think i didn't admit that but if you have acute pain then you definitely need to seek help yeah because uh, that could be something more serious like a a fracture or stress fracture exactly. or medical attention is required so yeah yeah so pain and injury treatment so we generally see probably in the next five ten years that a lot of pain and injury treatment will be a good blend of biomechanical and neurology based so a lot of it will be you know brain based because there'll be a lot more kind of sharing of information about, you know, where pain comes from, um, that, you know, sensory and motor approaches to help mm. pain. Um, where do you see that going? Because we kind of see it going down that kind of blended route. I think, I think it's, I think more and more is coming onto the table now. But when I started my training, it's um, about five years ago now, it's very different. I think it was a lot smaller as well about these conversations. Um, if you look at 10 years ago, I don't think people even think about training pain differently using 
um, like motor, sensory, and things like that. But because of the research that's coming out from a physio perspective, people are, are trying different things. So I know I went to a pain conference recently. It says run the mostly in Australia. Um, so they did a virtual one so I can join in the UK. I didn't fly over to Australia <laughs> during lockdown. <laughs> So they share some really interesting research and articles about kind of along the lines of what you're saying. So one of the things that they did is put patients on um, virtual reality mm. and then they train the body, um, ask them to do movement or certain tasks. And I can't remember what the exact research is, but they're using that as an idea to help people to train, re- relearn, retrain pain and relearn about the body and the pain. I think there's definitely a lot of space and room for growth in that area. And if more people are aware of it, and hopefully it will, it would, that will be a bit of the future. Mm. Yeah. I think it's, it's that kind of old adage. It's the same with vision training used to be once something like a big football club or something mm. that starts to invest in it, you'll see the research in it just going jump, 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 jump. jump. Yeah. 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 It, it, it is whenever, big private like sports clubs or anything really want the investment mm. that you will see that filter through yeah yeah more interesting i think if they reach a point that if they're, they're doing all the things that they're not really getting anywhere then they'll kind of look out for more other alternatives because there's only so long you can ask someone and, and then what then you need to move on so yeah what can you do to move on let's try all these other different things yeah and then oh. just filter out the ones that don't work and the ones that do work. As Jay said before in another podcast, it's like my magic crystal is better than your magic crystal. <laughs> drop and the other ones that do work get adopted. Yeah, or yeah. unfortunately they don't all drop. They kind of just hang around. Oh, well, yeah. Hang around. <laughs> Floating. Yeah, I spoke to a hand balancer recently who gave that analogy of just, you know, all of those kind of homeopathy, magic crystal, crystal energy stuff. Uh, the reason that they hang around isn't because they work and it's, they haven't got, gone away because they don't work, but they just don't do anything bad. Like they're, they're, yeah. they're not causing any so, d- yeah. so damage. No, they, they no. harm, so actually yeah. uh, they're yeah. sort of free to just exist. Carry on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to be fair, if it helps people feel better, then there's no harm in it to a degree. It depends how it depends. Yeah, true. Then yeah. Um, it depends how much trust they put in it that they don't actually seek proper, uh, yeah. professional help. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, there's something about placebo effects. Um, mine again going into the mind. So how does why does placebo effects work, and why does certain things work, and people believe it works? So the brain in itself starting to produce chemical changes to help the process. So, so exactly, it's it's one of those things. Every avenue you go down in these conversations could be a podcast or an episode, or it could be a textbook. <laughs> on its own. I'd really yeah. to do an energy healing placebo podcast at some point. But oh, so yeah. I think you just With get really angry the whole way through it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I can sit with that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. Once I figure out how to make it interesting. You know, oh, I don't understand this. But sometimes I think if you move, like if your body is in pain, you protect, you get tight. But yeah. if you're welcoming to move, you're moving arms up there. And then your brains do this as well. So yeah. when your body's tight, your brain gets tight. And then you don't think you're rigid. 
But if you're willing to start moving your body first and then your brain starts to become more creative and that's yeah. it. Yeah. The yeah. more you move in general, I think the better. You the know, better. Yeah. You know, especially if you are suffering with pain. Yeah. Yeah. Um speaking of which though we are coming up towards the end of our time here so just before we have to go i wanted to first of all ask you um if you had any cool like resources reading anywhere you know if people want to learn specifically more about pain uh you mentioned Lorimer mosley which i think probably for myself and gareth is kind of read explain pain read uh pain yeah. or yeah. anything like that uh that's a yeah. really great resource is there, are there any other ones that you would encourage people to go to if they wanted to learn a bit more about kind of pain education mm. so i think the lauren mostly one david butler they're like the big big they're just really famous in their field isn't it so if you're into that then go look at that for sure in terms of more kind of people, layman term, easy to read, there's a website called Retrain Pain. So they've got like little slide shares. Um, have you heard of it before? I've heard of it. I've never visited it, but mm. I've heard of it. Yeah. So it is quite simple. And they say, oh, pain is like a smoke alarm that I can amplify it or it can get quieter. So it depends on the sensitivity. So again, it's just a little examples. They touch on gold and sleep and... Mm. I think I can't remember. So I think that they should have little slideshows for people to understand a bit more about pain. So that's a quite a nice one if you don't have a lot of time and just want to browse around. Another quite useful one that's if, if for people who have chronic pain, it's called Living Well with Pain. So I think it's a charity. So it started with someone who lots of people who have chronic pain came together. Um, they made like they made this thing called like Ten Step to living well with pain so it's little ideas that people can try um to manage their pain so they've got advice on sleep they've got advice on pacing activities medications so all sorts so those are quite nice ones that i would recommend yeah cool and then um the final thing i guess is uh if people are interested in your services and uh want a physio that is a pain specialist to to come and treat them uh where can they find you uh, is i know you've got flexibility matters on instagram um is that the best place to get in contact with you or check out your stuff yes uh, my instagram is probably the easiest place to find me uh, i'm on flexibility matters so it's a bit of a blue local, so it's quite easy to spot, I hope. So just um, send me a message, or that will be the easiest way. Or you can contact me on my email as well. I do have a website, but I'm, I'm thinking about changing it. So don't contact me there yet. Just contact me through Instagram, easiest way. We're well aware of the terrors of having to do a website. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, uh, we're going to have to wrap things up there. Um, but Beth, thank you very much for coming and talking to us about pain. That was uh, very insightful, really uh, nice to get your thoughts and the thoughts from a trained physio um, about uh, your approach to both chronic and acute pain and, and how you manage it. Um, and yeah, I think that's lovely good. speaking to you. Yeah, it was very nice. Thank you for having me.